Welcome to Palm Vista Community Church as we continue our series in the book of Genesis. The series is entitled Beginnings. And this morning, the title of the, se- the message is The City of God, The City of Man, or The City of God. The City of Man, or The City of God. And we're going to be covering Genesis 9 18 through 11 9. And at the center of our text here is this idea of two cities, which really speaks of two loves. You may recognize this from Augustine's book, The City of God. And the idea between these two cities is quite simply this. The city of man is the city where love of self, love of one's own name, and trying to get one's own security and significance from one's accomplishments or achievements... And the city of God is characterized by citizens who are motivated by love for God and who trust God and are seeking to make God's name great, though it is great, we don't need to make it great, but in their hearts, God's name is number one and their love is for God. So these two cities, these two vying cities are taking place here. So here's the question for you, as you live your life, Where do you go for your significance? What I mean by that, your identity, your worth. Where do you go for your security, your sense of well-being? That's the question that this text asks us. Do you go to self, the city of man, to your own achievements? Or do you go to the city of God, his name, his achievements? What we see here is a continuation of the theme Throughout Genesis that began at the very beginning, the seed of the woman promised by God, fulfilled in Christ, who will overcome the seed of the serpent. And right here in our text, we see this battle between the two seeds, the righteous seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent in these two cities, the city of man and the city of God. Chapter 10 really speaks of these two cities, these two seeds, as we look at the table of nations. Look at it with me. We see at chapter 10, verse 1, these are the generations of the sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Sons were born to them after the flood. So what we have here is the ultimate ultimate ancestry.com. This is the ultimate genealogical genealogical search. It's very common, very uh, popular today. I think Channel 10 had a news anchor that did this whole thing of where he came from and he looked back in his genealogy and they did a DNA swab. Well, if you did a DNA swab, friends, here's the deal. All of us either came from Shem, Ham, or Japheth. That's what the Bible says. In fact, if you look back to last week's text, 9.19 says the following. It says that every one of us, verse 19, these three, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, were the sons of Noah, and from these the people of the whole earth were dispersed. That word dispersed there is very key in our text. It can also mean populated. So here's the deal. If you're going to do a genealogical search, it's going to ultimately take you back to either Shem, Ham, or Japheth. You came from one of them, all right? Even though today you'd say, I came from the Dominican Republic, or my parents came from Cuba, or I don't know where I'm from, because we're a little bit of everything. Ultimately, we're all from Shem, Ham, and Japheth. 
Now, the genealogical table that we see in chapter 10, it's not comprehensive, but it's accurate. And it has a theological point. Because what you have to remember is that God inspired Moses to write this text in 1400 BC as Israel is poised about ready to take the promised land. And so Israel is of which family? The family of Shem. We're going to see that in a moment. And the people they're about to dispossess are from which family? The family of Ham, the Canaanites. And so God is saying to his people at that particular time, you're going to go in and dispossess the people who are cursed by me. We learn that at the end of chapter 9. And so there's a theological point being made here in this table of nations. But I want you to know that the theological point is far bigger than that because ultimately, friends, we're all cursed. We know that from what we've been studying. Every one of us is under the curse of Adam and Eve. Every one of us needs a savior. Every one of us needs a blessing. And what this table of nations tells us is that out of all his nations, God has his people. And they are not determined by ethnicity or by language or by nationhood. They're not determined by any of that. They're determined by God's salvation in Christ. It's interesting, this table of nations, which is reflected on the map here on the board, pretty much what most people are going to say, and it's impossible to see it, but that Japheth would be the ones who populated the coastal areas up into Greece. So kind of think a, or, uh, Europe. Shem would be the people that populated kind of Arabia, the Mesopotamian Valley, Valley, what's today Iraq and Iran. From Shem would come one particular descendant, Peleg, and from him would come the father of Abraham. We'll get into this a little bit next week. And from Abraham, of course, we know, comes the blessing to the nations, Jesus Christ. And Ham is the one who's the father of kind of all these nations, what I call all the ites there, the Canaanites, the, the, the Gergesites, even the Philistines, who would be the traditional enemies of Israel as well as North Africa. What's the point? The point that God is making is this, that amongst his people, amongst all the nations, God has his people. Every tribe, every tongue, every race, and those people are not based upon those tribes, tongues, and races, but they're based upon the blood of Jesus. There is one blood that unites us. That's the blood of Jesus. You do understand that we all come from one man. You got that, right? We just studied that. That when Adam and Eve sinned, and there was great violence on the earth, God then judged the earth and wiped everybody out, And he saved one family, Noah, with his three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And from those three sons, according to scripture, all the earth has come. So we all come from one father, physically. Noah, the second Adam. And God has his people amongst that group. And what is being said here, right, is that God is after his people all over the earth. He's reminding Israel, it's not just you. You're going to go dispossess Ham's descendants. And that's right. But it's not just you. I've got my people all over the world. And I am working my plan and my purpose. Now let me ask you a question. As we looked at chapter 10, and we see the three groups. In fact, chapter 10, verse 2, the sons of Japheth. And then in verse 
uh, 6, the sons of Ham. And in verse 21, to Shem also. So you had these three people groups. And then at the end of chapter 10, it says in verse 32, these are the clans of the sons of Noah according to their genealogies in their nations. And from these, the nations spread abroad on the earth after the flood. Is chapter 11 in the right chronological order from chapter 10? In other words, we would assume chapter 10, chapter 11, so the events of chapter 11 then follow the events of chapter 10. Is that true? Well, let's take a look. Let's read chapter 11, verse 1. You there? Genesis 11, 1. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words, and as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top to the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower, which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they all have one language, and there is only the beginning of what they will do, and nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down, and there confuse their language, so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from over the face of the earth, and they left the building of the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel. Because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of the earth. So, does chapter 11 chronologically follow chapter 10? The answer is no. The answer is no, and here's the key. Look at verse 1 of chapter 11. Now the whole earth had one language. Now go back to chapter 10. Look at verse 4. Each with his own language by their clans. Look at verse 20. These are the sons of Ham by their clans and their languages. And then verse 31. These are the sons of Shem by their clans and their languages. Chapter 11 says they all had one language. Chapter 10 says they had many languages. Here's the reason. Chapter 11 tells us what happened to create all the languages and all of these table of nations that we see in chapter 10. According to Ethnologue, uh, as of 2009, there were 6,909 distinct languages on earth. According to chapter 11, verse 1, there was a day when there was only one language. What happened? How did we get to this place where the unity of one language which provided great power to man. According to our text, it was so much power that when the Lord came down, he says in verse 6, and the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they all have one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will be able to do, and nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible to them. How did that one language which created such unity and power get dispersed to today? There's probably over 6,900 languages today. What happened Well, here's what happened. Our ancestors, Shem, Ham, Japheth, and those who proceeded from them at some point chose the city of man over the city of God, point one. 
The city of man. What is the city of man? The city of man is where we choose to find our identity in our, our own achievement, where we choose to find our identity and our security in what we can provide. The city of man is in opposition to the city of God. How do we know that? Well, looking at the text, look at verse 4 of chapter 11. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top to the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves. That's one key. Lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. So here's what's happening. According to scripture, God says to Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, I bless you. As a matter of fact, it's on the screen here. 9-1 and 9-7. God says to them right as they exit the ark after the flood, God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and do what? Fill the earth. Again in verse 7. And you... Be fruitful and multiply, increase greatly on the earth and multiply it. But we read in chapter 11 that when they get off the ark, now obviously a a period of time took place here. There's a lot of them at this point. There's a whole group of them at this point. As a matter of fact, it says in verse 2, and as people migrated from the east, so imagine some period of time, Shem, Ham, and Japheth's uh, descendants, and they're migrating from the east, and God says go into all the earth, keep having babies, Keep populating the earth with image bearers of me and proclaim my name and image me all all over the earth and subdue it underneath my rule. They decided not to do that. They decided to go their own way. They decided to set up camp in a place called Shinar. See that on verse 2? They came to the plain in the land of Shinar. Many people believe that's modern-day Babylon. Sort of modern-day Iraq. So Babylon, and they, they chose at that place to set up shop. And in verse four, it tells us they did that lest they be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. So what are they doing? They're doing exactly what Adam and Eve did. God is saying, this is my plan for you. Submit to me. I am God. You are not. And they said, and he says, go into all the earth. And they're, they're walking there in the plain of Shinar. And they come to Babylon and they say, no, no, I'm going to build my city. We're going to build our city, the city of man in opposition to God. And we are not going to go out. We're not going to be dispersed. We are going to do our own thing. And in that moment, the sons of Noah, they, they forfeited this blessing. God blessed Noah and his sons. They forfeited it. And at that time, they all spoke the same language, according to chapter 11, verse 1. And that language was powerful. And sadly, they used that one language in a wrong way. Instead of using it as God intended to populate the earth and fill it with image bearers of God, they used it to do their own thing, like Adam and Eve. Instead of dispersing throughout the world to populate it, they camped out in Shinar. It's interesting, this word dispersed is very, very important. We see it three times in our text. We see it in verse 4, where I just read, let us make a name for ourselves lest we be dispersed. We also see it in verse 8, where it says, so the Lord dispersed them from over the face of the earth. And we see it again in verse 9, and the Lord dispersed them over the face of the earth. You know what that tells us? God is so kind that man's rebellion can never stop God's will. 
Man said, oh, we're not going to be dispersed over the face of the earth. We're going to build our own city right here in our name. And God said, well, yes, you are. And he dispersed them. This is a beautiful picture of God's grace to us, my friends. And so this city of man, what is it composed of? What does it have to do? What what is the meaning of the city of man? Well, we see in verse 4 that the meaning of the city of man is that we are wanting to be God. What they were trying to do is they were trying to transgress this, this boundary between heaven and earth. They were trying to transgress this boundary between God and man. They were doing the very thing that Adam and Eve did when the serpent said to Eve, listen, don't worry about worshiping God. He's trying to keep something from you. You can be God. If you eat of this tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will be like God. You will know good and evil. And they said, yeah, boom. And these people are doing the exact same thing. God says, go. They said, no. God said, worship me. They said, no, we're going to worship ourselves. And so what they did is they built a ziggurat. Not to be confused with a cigarette. Two different things. Here is a ziggurat. Kind of looks like a cigarette. Or maybe a cigar. Big Cuban cigar. All right. Back to the sermon. And... So they built this ziggurat, and what this ziggurat represented, listen, listen carefully. Listen carefully because all of us have ziggurats in our life. I want you to hear that, all right? I'm going to explain it to you in a moment, and then I want you to identify your ziggurat. What does your ziggurat look like? It's our attempt to be God and to provide ourselves with our own self-worth, with our own achievement. We don't want to worship God. We want to be God. Ziggurats were built in, in the Mesopotamian valley, valley by the pagan cultures to try to reach into the skies. And usually at the top of them was a little shrine that was painted in blue. I just imagine a little guy up there painting this thing in blue. Because they wanted it to blend in with the heavens. Because it was, I'm going to be God. I'm going to transgress the boundary between earth and heaven. I'm going to transgress the boundary between a human being and God. And so they, they wanted to be God. They didn't, they didn't want to worship God. They, they were looking for their significance in themselves. And that's what it means in the second part of verse four. And let us make a name for ourselves. Let us make a name for ourselves. Name had to do with with who you are, what is your significance, what is your worth, you know, what does your life mean? Your name spoke of who you are, your identity. So rather than finding their identity in the name of God, they were finding their identity in themselves. They wanted to make a name for themselves. There's ziggurats all over the landscape today. You know, I was just thinking about just social media. Today, people are famous for being famous, <laughs> right? I mean, just how many followers do you have? How many, can your post go viral? Just, I, I want to be famous. I, I, I want a name. I want to make a name for myself. But what are the ziggurats in your life? Where are you looking to be God 
rather than to worship him? Where are you looking to make a name for yourself rather than taking the name of God? Here are some of the signs that you're doing that more than you would want to be doing that. You're covered with shame and anxiety and fear and anger because you simply cannot control things. You want to be God. Only God controls things, but you can't. In fact, one of the things of anger, anger is really as a manifestation of idolatry. It's smashing my fist against the wall, or for me, usually it's the dashboard of my car saying, get out of my way. I want to get there now. And it's usually a manifestation. I want to be God. I want to be, I'm not getting my way. Scripture talks about that. Where do the fights and quarrels come? It's when you don't get your way and you fight, you quarrel, you commit murder, sometimes literally. So if, if, you're, if you're experiencing a lot of that, then maybe you are wanting to be God rather than worship God. And where are you trying to make a name for yourself? Well, if, if you're racked with a sense of failure and a perceived sense of your life is meaningless because you didn't get that promotion, you didn't get that degree, that project did not succeed, you've been pouring your life into something and it's just not happening, and disproportionately it wipes you out, you are devastated. May I suggest that God is gently saying he's, he's, he's coming down your little ziggurat, like we're going to see in a moment he did here. I mean, he already sees you, but he's so kind. He comes down the ziggurat and he says, this is a ziggurat to nowhere. Or a ladder to nowhere. Whatever you want to use. You are building this city and this tower against me and it's leading you Nowhere. And the reason you're devastated and depressed and discouraged is because you are trying to make a name in your own achievement. Take my name. There is an achievement greater than anything you could ever construct or do, and that's the achievement of Jesus Christ. As Mindy mentioned, whether it's your parenting, whether it's your pastoring, whether it's your teaching, whether it's your bank account, whether it's your business, whatever it might be. The name of Jesus is the name above all names. And as we see in the text here, in verse 5, and the Lord came down to see the city and the tower. It's not like the Lord couldn't see the city. He saw it. This is what Gary was talking about. The transcendent God is also the imminent God. He comes down and he sees the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, behold, they are one people. They have all one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do, and nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Listen, there's a great power in unity. We all crave it, don't we? We all love the Olympics. We all love to see when nations come together. But it's a fool's errand. Because apart from God, in man's own arrogance and pride, there cannot be the unity that ultimately fulfills God's purpose. And so he says in verse 7, Come, let us go down. And there confuse their language, the Tower of Babel. That word Babel is a word play in the Hebrew. It really mocks them. It's a tower of confusion. So that they may not understand one another's speech. And here, maybe 4,000 years later, we've got 6,900 languages. And those of us who live in South Florida know it's very confusing. So the Lord dispersed them from over the face of the earth. Isn't that wonderful? Verse 8, my will be done. And they left off building the city. They did not succeed in building the city of man. God comes down to terminate their project. If you find yourself in a terminated project, you've got to ask yourself, 
Was it God's project to begin with? And rather than leading you away from God so where you're yelling at God, let it lead you toward God. Listen to me. Yell at God. He doesn't get nervous by that. He wants you to yell at him. He loves that. Read the Psalms. That's what laments are all about. It's David going, God, why is this happening? What's going on? But then after you're yelling, done yelling, quiet down and listen to what God tells you. Because he loves you. He comes down the ziggurat, not to smash you if you're his people, but to correct you, to restore the blessing because it can never come in your own efforts, no matter how hard you work. It comes in Jesus, brother. Dear sister. And so that's what God did there. What's the point? What's the point of the city of man? It's not that God is saying that we oppose technology or towers or education or medical uh, accomplishments. No, I believe that as Jesus gives us time, things will get better and better. We're going to discover more and more. But see, we're going to do it under his authority. See, here's the wrong part. Using all of that apart from God, opposing God to make a name for myself, my city, my kingdom, and I will banish you from my kingdom if you oppose it. That's the city of man versus God's kingdom. Let us all grow together. It's not a zero sum game in God. It's a win-win in God. See, all those feel-good moments of the Olympics, I love them too, right? You get those commercials and I love that stuff, man. The nations are in our heart and particularly us in South Florida. We, most of us, many of us come from other nations like, like a generation ago or for some of you like five years ago. We love it when the nations come together. It's a great feel-good moment. Even the United Nations, when we see them all with those headsets on, you know, we got people with headsets on right now. There's someone translating me. She's probably about to lose her mind because I'm talking way too fast. God bless you, ladies. She's in the back. We like that. It feels good, doesn't it? There's understanding. Two different cultures come together. Two different languages. But it's just that, a feel-good moment. Because there can be no lasting peace without Jesus, the Prince of Peace, ruling your heart. You could try to create it and build a building in New York City and populate it with millions and millions of dollars. It's an admirable impulse. God put it in your heart. But if it's done apart from God's glory and power, it's destined to fail. Because apart from Jesus, there are many different languages. And many different nations. And nations wage war against nations. And they do nuclear programs and threaten to launch missiles across the water onto our shores. And they take land from other nations. And tyrants rise. And it's sad. But in the midst of that sadness, there's hope. And the hope is the city of God. Point two. The city of God. Oh, friends, the city of God, what is it? My son was asking me, what's the city of God? Corey was asking me, what's the city of God? And I just looked at him and said... I don't know. No, I didn't say that. The city of God is is really more accurately stated. The citizens of the city of God are the ones that live for a different love. City of man, they live for self-love. Their motivation, their foundation is my achievement will make my name. City of God, they live By God's love, because Jesus first loved them, and their motivation is God's name, and making that name great, not my name great. 
Now, in Augustine's work, City of God, ultimately, this City of God will be consummated or fully seen at Christ's return in the new heavens and the new earth. So you can kind of say that. But I would say this. The City of God is, is where those people, God's people, are wandering the earth and gather together. In a sense, here is the City of God. We're motivated by something different. I think of the heroes of the faith. You know where to go for that, right? The hall of fame of faith. Hebrews 11. And I think of Hebrews 11.10 on the screen where, where it's spoken of Abraham. And we're going to talk a little bit about him next week. And he, Abraham, was looking forward to the city that has foundations whose designer and builder is God. Babel and Bab, the Tower of Babel and Babylon was the designer and builder of that was man and it failed and it always will. But the city of God has the designer and builder, God himself. And those who live in that city trust God. Because God gives them their name, their significance, their worth, their identity, not based on their achievement, but on his. It's the name of Jesus Christ. And that's where they found, find their identity and their love. They have a different love. Those who live in that city obey God to go into all the nations and to proclaim his gospel, to populate the world with image bearers of God. Today we call those image bearers disciples. And going down through the ages, moving from the Tower of Babel all the way to the first century, God's people are always tempted to camp out at Shinar and build their own city because it's more comfortable that way. It's harder to go out to the ends of the earth. Can you imagine? You're walking out of the ark, having a lot of babies, you know, time-lapse to photography, lots and lots of babies. <laughs> and you look out over the plains, you know, the Atlas Mountains of Turkey, and God says, go! And you're kind of in the distance, sort of metaphorically, you see the Black Sea, or you look over toward Europe and you see some of the forests there of Germany, and you go, I don't know any of that. There could be lions and tigers and bears. Oh my. I'm going to just stay at the plains of Shinar and build my own city. We're all tempted to do that. New Testament was tempted to do that. Did you know that the church in the New Testament, 10 years after Jesus said, go and make disciples of all the nations, was still pretty much camped out in Jerusalem? And it took, it took God's hand, like he dispersed the people here at the Tower of Babel. It took God's hand to disperse them out into the nations. Look at Acts 8.1. And Saul approved of his execution, speaking of Stephen. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered, dispersed, throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. What occurred there, 10 years after Jesus' death and resurrection, probably somewhere around 43 AD, was the great missionary movement that brought the gospel to Europe. And ultimately to South America, where so many of us come from. The great gospel movement of populating the earth with image bearers of God. And he says, go, be fruitful, multiply, and make disciples of Christ. In fact, Saul, who's noted here, his name would be changed to Paul. Years later, when he's preaching in Athens, Greece... And he's preaching the gospel at Mars Hill, which is this place where all the educated and the philosophers gathered. And he's preaching a sermon to them. I believe Paul is preaching from Genesis 9.18 to 11.9. I believe that. 
I believe Paul, being a Jew, had probably memorized this, and he realized that now this, this purpose of God that is seen in the nations and seen in in, in seeking God and the city of God is now fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And listen to his sermon. It's up on the screen. Acts 17, 24 to 27. We're in the first century, in case I gave you whiplash here. We're no longer in the, the plains of Shinar. We're now in Athens, Greece, on Mars Hill. This is the first century church. Paul says this, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man. He didn't live in that ziggurat they made back in the the plains of Babylon and Shinar, and he doesn't live in your little ziggurat. He's God, and he's telling these guys in Athens, and he doesn't live in these little idols all around me in Athens. Verse 25, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything. It's not like you, you can serve God in the sense of giving him something he needs. Nope. Since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. Now look at verse 26. I believe he's thinking about Noah here. And he made from one man, Noah and his three sons, every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling. Do you know God is the one to determine when you live? Just thinking about that. My brother went to Vietnam. He's 10 years older than me. By the time I got of age to go into the army, Vietnam War was over. I could have, I could have been chosen to go to Vietnam. He was shot down. He almost lost his life. He had friends that lost their lives. It was just God's will that I was born in 1956 so that I was not of age until the Vietnam War was over. You, God chose when you were born, exactly the day you were born, the day that Elise is born. And he chose where you were born. Whether it's in the United States or Cuba or Brazil or El Salvador or the Dominican Republic, he chose that your parents came from where they came from. Or even the foreign country of California. Do you see Genesis 9? He dispersed them throughout the earth. He had Ham, Shem, and Japheth. He determined who your daddy is. Because ultimately, if you're a Christian, he's your daddy. And your worth isn't in whose family you're in. That is a bogus interpretation here. Your worth is, has God shown sovereign grace on you in Christ and chosen you as his people from all the nations? That was the point he was trying to make to Israel. Yes, the Savior's coming through you, but he's the Savior of the nations. And why? Why did you grow up where you grew up? In the bayous of wherever you grew up. Why? Why? Why why did your, your ancestors come from the Ukraine? And you live in Miami Lakes today. Why? Oh, this is significance and security questions. You paying attention? Verse 27. That they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him, yet he is actually not far from each one of us. This is what Gary was talking about. We're here to go obey God, to make disciples of the nations. The nations are all around us, but the nations are out there as well. Both and, and he's called us to do this. And we're weak and we're helpless and we need his help. But as long as we bow our knee to Jesus as Lord, he's going to use us for his glory and our good to fill the earth with image bearers of God. Here's the bottom line on the screen. Significance and security come to those who live not in the city of man where they try to make a name for themselves, 
where they try to ascend into heaven and be their own gods with their own laws. But in the city of God, in the city of God, we talked about the city of man or the city of God. When Augustine wrote this, he had a particular purpose. And uh, James Boyce actually wrote a, a modern version of this. He's, he's since passed away. About how do we relate with culture? Th- this sermon is very much about our mission. Very much is. Though, if you're a Christian here this morning, though we are citizens of the city of God, God calls us to love those in the city of man. You got that? Because those that are presently living in the city of man, the name of Christ is not on them. It's not important to them. The love of God is not there. They, in fact, hate God according to scripture. God has his people there, fast bound in darkness, that he is calling into his city. That's the whole idea of the New Testament, called out of darkness into light, out of the city of man, into the city of God. And he wants to use us to populate the kingdom with these image bearers Sure, he's the one that gives life. He's the one that births by his sovereign grace. But he calls us to go into that city. We we are to work as hard as we can. We are to do the best we can in the city of man. The best technology, the best service, the most honest um, service that we can give to people. The highest quality. We're to work hard. We're to study hard. It's important what we do in our cultures, but we understand we do it as citizens of the city of God, and we're always calling people out, calling people out, calling people out, calling people out, trusting that God's people will hear, respond to the call. That's what God is speaking to us today. We're to love God, but we're also to love our neighbor. God disperses us out to populate his kingdom with image bearers of himself. Disciples of Christ, Jesus, who go and make disciples, dear friends. Remember that he has placed you where you were born and he has placed you where you currently live that we might preach the word, live the word. He moves us out of our comfort zones, disperses us because he's got us. He's our security. He's our security. Let's pray. Worship team, would you join me here? Lord, I thank you that you have given us much grace. I thank you that you have called us And you have given us your mercy. Lord, we we resonate with those who stopped at the the plains of Shinar and build the city of man. We're much more comfortable trying to be God than worship him because by nature we are rebels. But thank you that you are the God who is merciful and kind. You're both and. You judge. Oh, you judged many. And you continue to judge. And one day that judgment will be consummated at the coming of Christ. And it will be a great and glorious day. It will be a fearful day for those outside of Christ. And I pray for those in this meeting right now. If they are not believers, Lord, you would convict them of this. And show them their need for the Savior. But for those of us that know you, Lord, it would be a day of glorious fulfillment. Of all that you've promised us. The city of God. That new heaven, new earth, fruitfully employed, joyfully serving. Lord, we have true security, true peace, true significance as we assume the proper place under your authority. We repent of trying to be God 
We repent of trying to make a name for ourselves. And we receive the name of Jesus Christ and live in that name. Lord, I pray you would give peace to us all. The peace of Christ, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and minds, church. In Christ Jesus. I believe that the Lord would have us declare that this morning rather than a time of ministry per se. I believe what Corey said during his encouragement that it is important we sing these truths. (laughs) But it's not because God needs to hear them. He already knows that he stands alone. It's important for us to sing it. But more than that, it's important for us to believe it. So I want us to sing that song, I Stand Alone. It's the new song. And uh, let's stand and sing that by way of affirmation of this message this morning.